On this week's Nights podcast, we see the beauty and strength that diversity brings to a community and discuss the inherent risks and rewards in this process. Good morning. This is Erica Spivey, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Development at Cary Christian School. And I'm joined by our panelists, Sarah Abraham, Kyla Curian, Bomi Roberson, and Courtney Bryant. On our last episode, we were discussing Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail and how diversity can grow a community's depth and strength. So, ladies, stepping back a little bit um, from our last conversation, are there any additional thoughts or anything you had from the letter? I think for me, and I I may have mentioned this when we were speaking, but it was just, I mean, I had respect for Dr. Martin Luther King. I did, but reading the letter in its entirety just gave me a newfound appreciation for for what he's done for our nation, for me, for my children. Mm-hmm. The fact that he, you know, like everybody's familiar with, I, I have a dream, his I have a dream speech, but because he made some sacrifices and sort of, you know, really fought through some inconveniences, my children can be in the class they are in today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very appreciative of that and very mm-hmm. proud just of the decisions that he's made, and, and not just him, but everyone else, just to, re, to fight for this freedom that we have mm-hmm. now. And, and we're not, you know, it's a progress, but just incredibly thankful, mm-hmm. you know, that God would use him, and here we are today. So. I think the other comment that I thought of um, leaving and something that has stuck with me is what a man of God he was in that mm-hmm. letter. You can see that he loved Christ, and because he loved Christ, he loved the people he was addressing in such a godly way. And it's, mm. it was such a challenge for me to go and do likewise, you know, to go and love people who are different. There are, you know, people we run into who are um, maybe not okay with diversity and that we you know, butt heads with. And I think, how can I do this in a way that's loving as opposed to my natural inclination, which is just to fight them? So he just loved them well. He, as we talked about the way his prose was formed, you can tell he met them and loved them and then shared his perspective. And I just think that's a really neat model uh, to emulate. So yeah, I actually, I've Throughout the letter, what I really appreciated was he broke down every single criticism that they had um, of how him and his group were um, protesting, but he did it respectfully. He didn't have to insult a single person. Today, our society, we do tend to either, we lose the godliness in the way we speak to people. We tend to, when we when we feel like our back is against the wall or someone's criticizing us, our, we come out guns blazing. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. He was very respectful. He was absolute. There was no doubt in my mind at the end of it that he had taken them all down a peg. He had explained to them how wrong their thought process was. But at no point did he insult them. Did he demean them? And I love that. And I feel like that is a quality every single one of us could emulate. Like yeah. if we could use this in our daily lives and the way we deal, whether it's with our children, with our peers, with you know, mm-hmm. our colleagues, friends, um, even in our church. Mm-hmm. There are so many of us who feel like, there are lots of people who feel I know better and I, mm-hmm. you're not up to the mark and I need to 
you know, put you down. Or I need to tell you that I, you know, stand above you in this. And um, I love that he, he did know better. He was able to break down every single thing in their um, criticism, yes. but he did it with just a godly spirit. I love, too, how he balanced that idea of logic and love, mm-hmm. and he called the people to a higher standard and a, a strength that truly is within to bring about resolution, right, to, to think about things. Uh, Kyla, as you talked about, I believe in the last podcast, from somebody else's perspective, you know, putting yourself in their mm-hmm. shoes, um, so a very, very wise, wise man. Well, thinking back from your childhood, what cultural heroes come to mind and how did that person shape or impact you? Kyla, you want to get us started? Um, I guess for me, um, the first people that I think about are my parents. Um, My parents, um, both one was raised in the Northeast in Pennsylvania and the other in North Carolina. And... um, culture is very um broad so i mean i had a northerner and i had a southerner <laughs> there were parents and there's a lot of interesting cultural clashes in that way um we have a lot of very rich heritage in our family and, and, and our my parents um huh, um really helped me go through some of the challenges it was to be um, a person of uh, color who was in school, um, who was in honors program, who sometimes got challenges from, I actually went to school in a very predominantly um, European, um, people of European descent. Um, so it was really challenging sometimes to go through um, why they were doing something and they would accept me only so much. And, and talking to my parents about that and being and having their example, their godly example, but then their push for me to um, be better, do better. Um, I'm reminded of a time with my 11th grade teacher, her name was Evelyn Davidson, I'll never forget her. And I'd written, I was an honors English and I wrote a paper and um, she came to me and she said, Kyla, this is just not up to par. And I said, what? She said, Kyla, you're a female and you're an African-American. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you're going to be coming up against some challenges and mm-hmm. people don't expect much from you and you cannot be like your peers. And I mm-hmm. looked at her and she said, so I'm gonna have you, this next, she gave me a pretty not so good grade for me. And she said, um, I'm gonna challenge you and this is what I'm gonna do. And so she gave me a couple of things and she said, this, this, this research paper you do, you're gonna do, you have to like outshine and be amazing. And I'm like, what a challenge for me. I'm 11th grader, honors English. I'm doing the same type of work I've always done to get A's. And she said, this is not gonna cut it. You have to do more. And um, we call this in, in our community, it's kind of a double tax that we, we call it, um, mm-hmm. something like that. And um, so I went home to my parents promptly and talk, told them that she told me she was gonna treat me unfairly. And they said, yep, that's right. You're gonna be treated unfairly sometimes and you have to, unfortunately sometimes work harder to be seen as mm-hmm. seen as equal you may be working more and so that was a really tough lesson but i rose to the occasion she she i i got a hundred on my research paper she told me how well i did but she she taught me a lesson about working hard and my parents told me a lesson about working hard but also 
how to face adversity mm-hmm. and um, hold my head up high and be proud. Um, and to, it, it's, it's, it's quite a bit, bit to bear, I must say, as a child to have that um, be told of you. Um, but um, I've seen things get better, but it's still kind of there. So, but I do really credit my parents, my mother and my father for what they've instilled in me. That's actually really interesting because um, for me, the biggest disadvantage and my, um, and it was really sad in my culture that the biggest disadvantage you have in your birth is being born a girl mm-hmm. in my country. And everyone looks at you as a burden and you're a father's burden mm. or you, if you are even talking about skin color, even within our own skin, there's mm-hmm. the darker skinned girls and the lighter skinned girls. And I remember something that would always stand out to me, which hurt me, even though it was a comp- I mean, it was supposed to be a compliment, was that everyone would tell my mom, oh, you're so lucky. She's very, very fair skinned. And both your girls are fair skinned girls. So it's easy to get them married. But that was the only value they placed on us, that sure. we would be married. And um, I come from a long line of women who champion women, who just said, I will never look at a girl child as a disadvantage in my life. I will always look at a girl who's a strength in my life. And um, Mm -hmm. it started with my mother's mother, who championed young girls who would, unfortunately, they there was only so much money in a family and when you were poor and you had to go out to work you would only send your son to get an education because there was no point educating the idea was there's no point educating your daughter and my grandmother took it upon herself to she was a 14 year old girl who was married and had four children back to back she had no chances but she was the one thing she did have was wealth and she decided fine I didn't get an education I didn't but I had three daughters and then a son and I'm never going to let anybody say a girl was not good enough in a mm, family. And she took it upon herself to educate the poorer girls in her teeny weeny little town wow. to feed them. That was one of the biggest problems. They wouldn't go to school because they were too hungry to go to school. They were starving and food was not given to the girl child in the house. There wasn't enough. The father and the sons had to be fed. So even the mother would not feed a daughter because it wasn't necessary. And my little grandma, four feet nothing, little champion of girls, decided that she would bring her daughters up to always have a healthy respect for girls, always champion a girl's cause. She championed it. She actually, way, way back then, um, pioneered in her teeny little town. You can't even call it a town. It's a really um, small little place. But she championed the little girls in that town and got the counselor kind of like um, your elected representative to start a noon meal scheme, which she started from her own backyard. Mm. If you went to school every day, if you showed up in school, you got a meal at noon. And she did it out of her pocket for the longest time. Mm. Then she started championing her neighbors to start donating. She championed her church to um, start giving us benches and chairs so that she would just put it out in her yard. And any girl who went to school, and then later on it was opened up to the boys as well, Anyone who went to school, you got a meal, a hot meal in the afternoon. Mm. Your belly full of food was such a huge blessing. And that went on with my mother and my aunts. Everyone, all of them got married, moved to different cities. 
and started something to champion the rights of girls. Mm. Girls who were discarded by their own families mm. because they were a burden or they didn't look good enough, not easy enough to get them married or too many children can't afford to educate or feed all of them. So let's discard the girl. I, for me, the women in my family, they have always championed, they've always, and my mother ended up having only two girls. She didn't have a son and everyone thought, oh man, you, like, you know, what are you going to do? You didn't, ha you didn't end up having a, a boy. And she just said, my husband and I are the most blessed people because we have two beautiful daughters mm -hmm. and our daughters are going to go out and do things. Mm -hmm. Why always look at your, your daughter as a disadvantage that you mm -hmm. have? Mm -hmm. Amen. What a beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, testimony. Yeah, mm -hmm. and beautiful. we've continued it. Every generation of girls in our family has championed women. That's wonderful. That's neat. Courtney, um, as you hear these stories, what resonates with you as you raise a multicultural family? Oh, goodness. A lot. <laughs> I think it's a really, uh, Kyla said last time, and I think I think it was really good. She said, you know, and this might have been when we weren't even recording, but we were talking about just the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of navigating this with our families, mm. with the, the Holy Spirit's guidance. And I think it's really a good one because I don't think there's a really good answer on how to do this well. I don't think there's always a really good answer for our family on you know, are, are we, how do we integrate Reeve? I mean, and especially in her case, there's a very interesting dynamic because she's Ethiopian. Um, so she has a specific culture, right, that she comes from. But at, at the same time, she is ours. And we, when we adopt her, she becomes our family. So there's this really interesting dynamic of trying to keep both, trying to help her feel like she's a Bryant. She is no longer her old, and yet she is made as God made her as an Ethiopian woman who he loves and delights in. So we navigate that and it, we don't, we make mistakes in the process and we don't do it well. But I think for our family, you know, that I've thought a lot about that. It's, it's a prayer walk for us to say, Lord, how do we do this? And what people do we need to help? And how can we come alongside people who aren't doing it well and love them like you know, Martin Luther King did, how can we love them well and teach them what we're learning at the same time? Um, and what kinds of ways can we then pray for CCS to become more and more of that? So I don't know, there's not a real easy answer, but I think that is that the Holy Spirit is in the process of changing us and, and helping us as we, as we try to figure it out. So how do you think fear kind of plays mm. uh, into this, our ability to step in and, and figure this out, either for our families or for our school community, as mm. it relates to diversity, cultural backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, et cetera. Yeah, I, I guess for us, I haven't experienced as much people in fear as people in discomfort. Um, I think Great people point. are uncomfortable or feel like, and when I say uncomfortable, they don't know what they don't know, and that's me too. So they don't know how to handle um, sometimes, you know, um, and, and we run into this in our own families. We bring a lot of Muslims into our home and, and our own families are like, uh, they're gonna like eat with us, like what is this gonna look like? Like they're just, they're because they're uncomfortable and they don't know, and we've been there. And so I think, and it's more of a lack of comfort than it is, we talked about, 
you you whatever your cultural background there's a level of of understanding in that little pool and when you jump out of that pool and you go into a bigger ocean it's terrifying <laughs> so the so i think we all have been there and that's sort of um, more what i experienced rather than fear um, ccs especially has not been a place where we've encountered directly people who are fearful of our family being different or Reeve being different. That That's never been the case. Um, they love it. And they sort of, in, in our church community, a lot of times they almost look at us like, wow, you're really great. And we're like, this is what we are all called to. <laughs> Whether you adopt or not, this is, a, we are not doing something better. And, and shame on you for thinking so, because that's not true. We're failing at this, right? So um, so we've not encountered, praise God, a lot of that backlash in terms of fear. But I would say people trying to figure out, along with us, how to navigate people that look different. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think... I agree uh, about people feeling uncomfortable, but I think, uh, but I think there can be some, some, uh, some fear, mm. fear that what if I say the wrong thing? Yeah. Fear of I don't want to offend, particularly now, or fear <laughs> of what if this person, you know, just kind of overtakes things and 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 they they just. I know it's kind of similar to the Egyptians and the Israelites, you know, back mm. in the days of Exodus, like fear that they're going to overrun us. I think some mm. of that, you know, because when you think about people from other backgrounds coming in as immigrants, mm-hmm. some of the narratives that people give is, well, they're going to take our jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's all rooted in fear. Um, and I think that's why I love what she said. We need the Holy Spirit and we need prayer. We need to understand that mm-hmm. in God's economy, mm-hmm. there is room for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, in God's economy, he created us all. And in that, so there's different things he's called us to do. And there's something beautiful to that diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we start to operate in love instead of fear, I think the way mm-hmm. that we begin to address each other mm-hmm. um, becomes different. It becomes more of a question, please forgive me, I, I'm ignorant about this, or I don't know about this. Can you tell me about this part of your culture? Tell me about you know, your, you know, how this is done and, and what will be offensive and what would not. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we start to have those types of conversations from a perspective of love, it changes the game, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Great point. Mm-hmm. I think that's valuable when you talk about, um, for me, it's an S of a, we, we know that we have this narrative going on in our nation, but proactivity, I think, is really important. I think this conversation is you know, we're being proactive um, in being able to talk about this, um, educating um, our students about how to interact with difference and what does that look like and how will we respond to people who are different from us, um, educating them, um, not just secretly hoping that some somebody else will do it or, you know, that mm-hmm. it'll be some type of osmosis that'll occur that they'll learn how to interact and with others, and that goes from you know the administration to the to the faculty to the students to the staff, um, and being able to train people 
and be proactive to, to as what you just mentioned, Bomi. Um, excuse me, I'm ignorant to this. You know, I, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm I'm sorry. And I think we all. I mean, Sarah, you sh- shared last time that your girls are on the um the playground and someone asks about their skin color and why they're so dark and understanding that sometimes questions that students may ask or activities that may be done. And I know that Eric and I've talked about this when my child was in first grade, even what supplies are provided for the children to be able to draw themselves or express themselves if they don't have the right construction paper and, um, you know, um, crayons or colored pencils or what images are in books that they receive. Mm-hmm. All of these send messages to mm-hmm. the children, whether spoken or unspoken. And so thoughtful, proactivity mm-hmm. training and, and being mm-hmm. really intentional, which I think that I'm so glad that, mm-hmm. you know, the administration is doing. And starting back with Erica, when we had that conversation, she she texted me and she said, Kyla, I got the <laughs> she did. She then moved into her new position the next year. But it was great to see that, you know, someone was open and she said, Kyla, I just didn't know. And thank you so much for having mm-hmm. this conversation. And thank you, Erica, for being open to having that conversation with me, which is so much, mm-hmm. you know, I think is really important. But it has to start somewhere and we can't put it off on, oh, Bomi will do it or Courtney will mm-hmm. do it or, or, or Sarah will do it. You know, it really has to start um, and it has to be from many Mm-hmm. levels because I think you know God calls us in the Great Commission to go ye out into all the world mm-hmm. and minister the gospel but understanding that Christianity doesn't quite look the same when I go to travel to South Africa right. or when I go to other nations it looks a little different and if you don't do your homework or know about cultural sensitivity about how to learn about others people may miss the gospel message mm-hmm. because of the container it came in mm-hmm. well, I love how y'all have shared the risks um, that are kind of inherently involved as we talk about diversity and we look at how that impacts a community and Sarah I love the story also of your grandmother that had a strong sense of identity and that turned or translated into purpose which gave way to service or activism so um, as we kind of think about that component let's also uh, turn the head of the coin on the other side and then if we're willing to take the risks of engaging in conversations and making mistakes or recognizing, um, you know, these are some, um, you know, undesirable types of challenges maybe that could be put in front of us. Um, but what are the rewards for us as a community and our families as we're willing to step into that? I mean, what do we stand to gain? Mm-hmm. For me, now just piggybacking on what you guys were talking about um, you know with others you know having don't know and so they're fearful one of the things that I find is a huge reward is educating my own children on their cultural background their skin their food their language their history their heritage Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. someone says something to you it hurts your feelings yes I get it how do you educate that person and say hey that's not all my country is about. I know my children have faced, you know, con- you know, offhand comments that, you know, stereotyping our country in a, in a certain way. And I've always told them, don't lash back or cry or withdraw and think that, see, nobody likes me, I can't get along. How are you going to build this community? How are you going to build everybody up? Mm-hmm. Teach them. Tell them, no, this isn't what it 
it is like. This mm-hmm. is what my heritage is like. This is the proud, rich heritage I come from. This is who my ancestors are. This is what my language is. This is how I hold my head up high. These are the people who have fought hard to bring me to where I am. And I am really proud of that. Mm-hmm. If you're not proud, I always say nobody can see you as a shining star. Or nobody can love you until you love yourself. And you got to love yourself wholesomely like God loves you. Every single part of yourself, you've got to say, hey, I accept this is who I am. This is what God has chosen for me to be. This is how God made me. And I love that. And I'm going to project that upon everybody else. And then we become one big community. If you know more about me, what I'm about, who I am, where I come from, it's hard not to like that person then because you you connect with that person. Right. It's not, oh, they're strange and I don't know, I don't want to go near them because they don't know who they are. <laughs> they want to shy away from me and you don't look like me, you don't talk like me, so, oh, you have a funny accent or you eat funny food or there are so many different things that have come up. And I, I just believe, why don't you say, hey, does my food smell funny? But it actually tastes delicious. Share some with me. Why don't you and I share a meal together? Maybe you will find you have a taste for it. Right? Um, my skin is a little darker. Well, I don't have to use a lot of makeup then to, you know, <laughs> I don't need to get a lot of foundation or blush or any of those things. I just am naturally tan. Like, why don't you embrace who you are? That's really important. It helps important. the community That's to embrace so you important. as well. We do the same thing with our kids, Sarah. I mean, as far as embracing who you are, Mm -hmm. loving you. And so if someone comes to you and says to you, oh, you know, Indians um, or African-Americans haven't really contributed that much to America or done much. And then when my son rattles off all the scientists and (laughs) and all the inventions. And so so it's like this is contrary. What you're saying about me that's not very nice doesn't come against what all the things that I've been taught by my parents that I've read in books mm-hmm. that I know about, um, about myself and about my heritage and who I come from. And so when he's met with that challenge, it's, 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 there's not as much dissonance in that sense. It's because my parents have taken the time to teach me about the proud heritage that I have, not to say it's better than anybody else's, but just to say, this is who I am and the people who, the background of who I've come from, are really amazing and what you're saying doesn't really compute but let me educate you if I have a moment that's and that's also a heavy burden though for the person of color to always have to try to educate the other Mm. person because oftentimes people of color have to always know about the culture they're going into Mm -hmm. but the people of typically of European descent don't have to know about the people of color's experience which is really tough sometimes to have to be always be the teacher Mm -hmm. and even in the context of CCS, I think we stand to gain a ton of rewards when we do take that risk. Um, when I think about comparing to you know just other institutions, like just imagine if CCS was known to be a community where they they embraced diversity in terms of you know ethnic background, socioeconomic background, and people can come in and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think it gives us that platform where we can stand and say no, we've truly, we're we're coming into what it means to be reconciled. We're coming into what what the image of God, what God had in his mind in terms of the colors, the expression of who he was. Mm -hmm. And we are able to, in some way, just help other people understand, Mm -hmm. like, it's possible. It's hard. It can't be hard, but it's possible. And then our children, just like you said, come away saying, in my academic experience, I learned about 
this country, that country, that culture, and just mm. people from different backgrounds. And it's given me that advantage to go into college or to go study abroad and not feel nervous about entering mm. an, a, an unfamiliar mm. uh, sort of territory. But I can come in knowing I don't know a lot, but I can come in knowing that I maybe have the tools and the skills to engage and to learn and to embrace. So I think uh, the rewards for CCS to be open to that or to really uh, see that happen is just unbelievable, unbelievable. And then the resources that we get from that, the knowledge, the, the, the wisdom, um, I think it just really will put us at an advantage. I would say... For me, along the same lines, I think the Bible is just packed full of language of us being exiles. From the time that Adam and Eve were banished, through the entirety of the Word of God, there are exiles. And exiles inherently are in a different country. They don't know the language. They don't know the people. They don't know the culture. And so I would say there is such an, a better understanding of who God is when we know that, yes, we're exiled, but, but more importantly, that we are to feel that lack of comfort and we're to feel uncomfortable in that place and to sort of experience all of who God is right in the midst of that. Abraham and, I mean, every single patriarch had some level of of that feeling. And so I think I know the Lord better when I am in a place of being in cultural circle, circles of people who I'm uncomfortable around or I don't know what they know. And I have to ask questions and I have to figure out what their food tastes like. And all of that experience helps me know the Lord and who he really is. He doesn't want us to never feel that that you know, dis-ease. He wants us to feel that. That's the, that's his calling of us mm-hmm. until we're no longer exiled, until we're at the throne, right? Mm-hmm. So I just feel like it is a biblical narrative to bring that here. And it's a biblical purpose to, to reward our community with what he intended. Well, ladies, thank you for just such a sweet and wonderful conversation. And I do pray that CCS would just be a small picture of what heaven is going to be like. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.